This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks and Modern Campground. Here, as always, with my co-host, Kira Sismadia from the Canadian Camping and RV Council. We are super excited to have another open discussion show for you. For those of you who don't know or who are tuning in for the first time, the first Wednesday of every month is our open discussion show. We have a bunch of regular panelists who are on the show. Sometimes they get busy and sometimes they don't. So we've got a couple who are missing today, which we'll cover in a second. But we do have Mr. Casey Cocker from CampSpot, Sandy Ellingson, who is an RV industry consultant and overall. What is your actual title, Sandy? I feel like we don't have a company for you. Sandy Ellingson? I'm supposed to be retired. (laughs) So um, I'm just a RV industry advocate and just help out where I can. My goal is to bring the entire ecosystem of the industry together. And so that's what I'm focused on. Nice. I feel like we'll get on with Randy. He's retired three or four times already too. So I don't <laughs> never, <laughs> are you trying to anyway? But so we got Randy Hedrickson here from United Park Brokers and a bunch of other things. He's been in the industry for about 75 years, something like that. 40, 30, whatever it is. Anyway, wizard of all things, Angela Hilton, project manager from Insider Perks. And then obviously what we already introduced Kara. So I think what we'll start with is this open discussion, right? Is it's because we diverge anywhere. It's just what's happened in the last 30 days or so. So let's just go around, briefly introduce yourself. But for those of you who don't know or who are tuning in for the first time, we are missing Scott Foos, who normally is uh, joining us from Horizon Outdoors, a management company. We're missing Mr. Mark Kep, uh, who came down with a stomach bug. We hope he feels better. Uh, and then we're missing Kurt from National Parks Traveler, who is actually traveling today. Hopefully it's someplace really cool that he's enjoying much more than being on the show. So we'll have those back as part of our regular panelists, but just go around the room, introduce yourself, and then maybe touch on one thing, one or two things maybe, that has happened to you over the last 30 days that you feel like our audience should maybe know about or pay attention to, and then we can spark a discussion from there. Casey, do you want to start first? Sure. Yeah, last 30 days. So this is obviously the the time of year from like a software standpoint where uh, the onboarding season gets crazy. A lot of parks are realizing either we should take, you know, reservations online for the first time, or if you've already taken something, there's a lot of changeover and things of that sort. But one thing that we're noticing significantly over the last 30 days is the attention to getting your rates set well in advance for, for next season. The amount of advance reservations for next season is insane. I mean, we have many parks that are already at above 50% occupancy for next summer as they, you know, just closed last weekend. So you're seeing a massive influx in um, advanced reservations. And along with that, strongly suggested by us is to address address your cancellation policies and address some of those rules and, and advanced rules that you want. Instead of allowing a, a one-day reservation to come in on the 4th of July on a Saturday, for, since we're so far in advance, put a, f- a three-day minimum rule in there or put a seven-day minimum rule over those certain holiday weekends that are going to be full. You know they're going to be booked up. Now you might as well get the most ideal reservations that are coming in for that time period. And so advanced reservations, having your rules and pricing set already for next season, we've seen as being a huge uptick. And because of the amount of reservations, we're proactively 
trying to touch base with every park with 15 or 1600. It's quite the task, but we're trying to touch base with every one of them to say, Hey, if you don't have your pricing for next season, please take advantage of the fact that so many people are booking in advance and your inventory is so valuable. Make your cancellation policies relate that make sure that they're, they're strong enough that people are taking advantage of weather changes or shifts in plans that there should be a penalty to that inventory being gone for some people if someone books it right now. Um, and then really just doing as much as they can to explain, upgrade just subtle little things in their listings and stuff like that, just to drive that many more advanced bookings. But that's been the big thing. The other cool thing that we've seen is more and more people are starting to try subtle things like dynamic pricing, where we're saying, okay, what if we just put in one little rule on the 4th of July, where uh, once we get to 50% occupancy, we're going to raise that price up five bucks. And then they're three weeks later, well, our, our occupancy for those site types on the 4th of July is already at 50%. And now our prices are $5 and it's not affected our pricing. Let's add another one, right? It's almost like a, a kid eating a piece of candy on Halloween. They want the next piece. And of course, when it comes to money going in their bank accounts and, and revenue going up, that's, those are good pieces of candy, right? So that's been the biggest thing is honestly, it, it, onboarding is really busy right now, but. The parks that are on really getting prepared, I think, much earlier than maybe some parks that have ever done, ever done before. See, this whole thing fascinates me. And for those of you who don't know, we don't script this in advance. I didn't ask Casey what he was going to say or any of the other people what they're going to say as far as their one idea goes. But we were just having this conversation with clients on the phone. And I want, you know, Kara to jump in and things like that from when she ran her park. But we were talking to some of our clients on the phone and they were they were asking us how far in advance do we open up reservations? How far in advance do we set our prices? Because there's a traditional, at least among the, the park owners who have owned parks for 10, 15, 20 years, things are changing dramatically as far as online reservations and how far in advanced their opening and all the things that you talked about, Casey, and this particular group of people who own multiple campgrounds were, were telling us they used to sit down or they did sit down with their national supervisors and go site by site and, and look at each campground at each location and decide how much to raise each, each site. And that doesn't allow for that advanced reservation because by the time they get that done, it's maybe January or even into February <laughs> before they can open yeah. those things. And so I told them, like, just set your rates, like 30 or 20 or $30 or however many percent, like some raise it some crazy amount. And then when you do your study, back it down if you need to, but let the people who are willing to pay that money book in advance. And I think that's, it's just indicative of the way things are trending. This, in, it, when I first started running a campground, things were very reliant on my manpower, sitting at the desk, answering the phone, answering the emails. And that has hugely shifted. And it's one of the biggest benefits to to utilizing products like cases is you can automate so much of this now that it allows you to, it stops you from being limited to a time frame. You don't need to sit at a desk and process through all those reservations anymore. And I get that some folks have concerns about that, but I think time and time again, properties are really showing some pretty significant successes with trusting in those algorithms and those products to just optimize. Yeah, they're, they're we're, we're seeing that too. For a lot of parks too, you don't need to really scare parks into saying you have to jump, you know, head first into yeah, go strong. cold water, right? Like you have options to say, we know like these, our waterfront sites are always busy, but I'm a little bit hesitant on the other 90% of my park. Then do it with 10 sites or do it with 12 sites or do it with 15. Like you don't have to necessarily dive the entire way in. You can dip the toes to some extent just to test the waters. And see, overwhelmingly, it, you're gonna, you're probably gonna see the results that every other ca camper that has done it has seen. 
but you also don't have to, you can still run your campground the way you've always done it for years. Cause obviously it's been successful. Obviously you've done well for yourself doing it. So even taking some baby steps and subtle things, and we've had people that are on for the fourth and fifth year that they're just doing, they're just doing dynamic pricing for the first season. They've been big advocates forever and all cancer, but I'm like, you're not using like one of the main things that's helped drive, and that's okay. Like it's, per it's perfectly fine. We have hundreds of campgrounds that were anti-lock site feed for years and they finally, maybe we'll turn it on for these site tensions. That's fine. Like I said, baby steps, the, the, the technology's there, you know, how you want to use it, you know, you're still in control of your part. Yeah, you you don't have to rely on these manpower specific tools for for this, right? You can you can be completely in control still. It just you just have to wrap your brain around that happening in a different way than it's always been done, which can be tough but uh, valuable too. What do you think, Randy? With all your years of experience, like when are you telling? I know I think you own a couple parks now, don't you? Am I wrong? Mm -hmm. I do. So what are you doing at your parks then? <clears throat> and dynamic pricing and how far in advance you're doing these things. Yeah. Yielding site log fees, all the above. And the big reason for that is in my former life in my former company, I was very reluctant initially to be a first member on yield management or something like site log fees. Just a couple of years, by the way. And the feeling was because people talked to people. I didn't want somebody storming the front desk and saying they're paying more than I am. The world has changed and uh, yield management is the way of the world. And there's a lot of people that were the same thinking that I was many years ago, which was, I don't want to be the first one to do that. Well, guess what? This is 2021. The dynamics have changed. The consumer has changed. Spending habits have changed. Expectations of parts has changed. The level of amenities provided by parks has changed. People are very happy to pay for an experience. They're not talking to each other about how much they pay. They're talking about the experience they had at where they chose to stay. Fundamental game changer. And I mean, I'm talking 180 degrees over even just a few years ago. So the more that this is more and more ubiquitous, I think good campground operators are recognizing this is just the way it works. And it is nothing to fear or be afraid of. And the results could be absolutely tangible and in some cases, otherworldly, depending on the property, depending and in case you would know far better than I, but depending on the park, the kind of lift that can come out of that, is just really astronomical, drops right to the bottom line. So it's just a matter of proper managing your inventory, properly managing your rates, letting the software do the work and reaping the benefits for it. And, and the truth of the matter is not had any consumers approaching our front desk folks and saying, well, I'm really mad because you paid five bucks less than I did. It just doesn't happen. They are more concerned with the experience they're having in the park. And that really is what they're talking about. They're talking about what they went to see and do, the places they went, the people they met. It's a different culture entirely. And so for any, really for anybody, to Casey's point, who's in the field of owning and operating your property, if you're not doing it now, give it a shot, embrace it, figure it out, see what you can do. You're not a slave to it. Technology works for you. You're not working for technology. So when you understand and can manage technology to your advantage, it's a competitive advantage with a tangible result. Well, I think consumers are, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, please, Kara, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think consumers' perception about fees and, and things like that have shifted as they've gotten more and more used to booking hotels and airline tickets and all of those things that it's just understood concept specific to pricing. So that's probably not true across the board, but a lot of consumers 
of understand that fundamental kind of principle. I think, and just one more thing on that, if I may, would something that's really helped the adoption of yield management sidelock fees is the overall quality of the resorts elevating to a very high degree over what they were some years past. In, in years past, it was more of a commoditization, right? The site here is the same as the site here. It's going to be the same length, same width, whatever like that. But with such a more of an emphasis on the experience and better fit and finishes and amenities within the campgrounds and the experience as a whole elevating, that's why you see price coming down as the criteria and experience elevating way beyond that. Price becomes secondary to the experience. And to, to a large degree, I think that's the credit of the industry as a whole for upgrading their parks, upgrading their facility and providing a better experience for the consumers. Well, you think about this, this whole last year, I, I, we, I'm still forced at times to stay in hotels. Um, and the entire year, I think the pools have still been shut down. Like I still haven't found a hotel when we go for travel for my kids' sporting events. They were, they're still closed. Like, with, so those things still aren't open. And whereas campgrounds, I mean, their pools are open, right? Even staying in a hotel, there's like disadvantages there. Not only are you cooped up inside, but and so these experiences that campgrounds offer, like the amenities is as small as they are, as big as they are, there's value to that. There's significant value to that. And just the general concept of saying, <laughs> I use this example all the time. It's if I have my kids, I want to be in a certain place. If I don't have my kids, I want to be in a different place in sense of where that's at in the park and 10, 15, 20, $30 is not even <clears throat> remotely top of mind when it comes to the, the value of that time that I'm spending wherever I'm going. These are vacations, right? These are the, what we work all week for. And so when you're there, again, that's, you know, we've talked about this too, as far as just add-ons and anything you can upsell, because this is their time to spend it. It's when you're going to Disney, you're blowing up $40 Mickey Mouse, a tiny stuffed animal and a $30 turkey leg. Like you're yeah. ready to do that because that's your vacation. That's your time. That's the reason you're working for is to get to enjoy that time. So people are prepared to spend money on this. Just fortunately. So many consumers realize how much better it is spending it at campgrounds than it is at a hotel or at these theme parks or whatever, where it's just chaotic. It's 110 degrees. It's lines. There's crying things everywhere. It's a minute. Why would I rather be outside where there's a pool, there's a playground, there's golf carts, there's trees, there's, you know, sun, there's all these things that are just provide so much more happiness in general in a boxed in room with a closed pool with someone rude at the front desk getting in your spot at your room your box room as quickly as possible so yeah i want to get sandy's thoughts on this real quick because and maybe even putting you on the spot sandy but just i know you do a lot of work with rv life so first introduce yourself tell us because this is part of our regular panel but this is your first show with us as a panel so just introduce yourself tell us who you are what you do in the industry and then if you can speak to maybe the consumer side of what we're talking about what are if from your talking, I know you talked a lot with RV bloggers and things like that, and you do a lot of work with Andy at RV Life and just maybe speak to that from the consumer standpoint. Absolutely. My name is Sandy Ellickson. I had a consulting company for about 30 years. I had 60 programmers working for me. So basically I spent my time herding cats and it was a lot of fun. And, but then my husband and I decided we were ready to retire and spend more time in our rent home. So we full time. So we were full-time on the road for about six years. And in that time, I fell in love with my campgrounds. I realized that my campgrounds were very much like a lot of nonprofits I had worked with. And literally, I went from not working to turning around one day going, oh my gosh, I'm numping 100 campgrounds. I'm not charging a penny, but I'm working full-time. 
and I was happier than I'd ever been in my career. And so that in the industry, while I work with a lot of people in the industry, my heart is my campgrounds. And so that's really where I like to say my goal is to create a more creative environment and a more proactive environment between manufacturers, suppliers, dealerships, and my campgrounds. And so I work a lot on initiatives to do that. I work on, I'm working on a lot of new things with the industry itself just to help campgrounds. Because I feel like there's so much value to our mom and pop campgrounds and but they just need a little help to get over the edge. And a lot of this is with just education, exactly what we're talking about. When we start using things like dynamic pricing, a lot of them are scared to death. And three years ago, I think was the first time I had a park that asked me about dynamic pricing. And they were absolutely scared to death. They thought for sure if they implemented it, it was going to, it was going to run off all of their guests. And so we implemented it and I said, we're going to monitor it. Every single reservation, watch real closely. And in the first 100 reservations where the brakes changed multiple times during those reservations, not one person called to complain. And that what no matter whether it was a phone call, which we've given some basic instructions on how to and handle a phone call of what to say when we're taking the reservation versus online, not one. So all the fears that they had never appear. And I think it's really important to mention that dynamic pricing not only could increase the rate, but it could decrease the rate. So if you've got a lot of gaps and you're less than 50% occupancy, it can automatically reduce that rate for you. And so you don't even have to worry about it then. It's still working for the campgrounds. And for myself as a, as IRB, I look for those gap times and I look for the parks that I know are using dynamic pricing because I know that's where I can get the best deal. Yeah. So it's the same thing if you are looking for a hotel room or an airfare of the days that it's the slowest when to buy and that's when you go to shop. So there's some benefits from the consumer side to dynamic pricing as well. And again, it benefits the campground because you're filling up spots that may not be filled. They're normally your lower uh, occupancy day. So you're not reducing your rate on the best weekend of the year. So that's, that's where I am. I totally agree with everything Casey's saying about getting ahead of things, trying things at your own pace so slowly. And the other thing that's been so great is while COVID has been bad in a lot of ways, it's been really great for some of my campgrounds because it's given them the courage to try things they would have never tried before. And it's dipped up the technology, the, or the ability to embrace the technology that's going to allow them to do it. So a lot of times, even now, when I ask them to do something that's a little bit out of their comfort zone, I'll say, let go, but everybody else does. And it's true, almost every change we need to make can somehow go back to something I really consider an improvement that came about because of COVID. But when you say that, everybody gets it. COVID changed everything. And so it's not like a negative blank. It's, look, this is the environment in the world we're living in now, and this is the motivation for these changes. And everybody just understands it. So speaking from the consumer standpoint specifically, right, though, I know you work with campgrounds. Right. I definitely want to talk about that. I really appreciate all that you gave in. But from a consumer standpoint, I know you just went to the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta. You met a lot of consumers there. You were talking to a bunch of bloggers and things like that. Right. I mean, tried to have you on the show, just a bad internet connection. Yeah. Uh, and then working with Andy and all those properties at RV Life that are mostly consumer facing, do you have any sense of 
what Casey's saying is that whole oh. true with the consumers. Are they looking to book earlier than they have before? To, are they, you know, absolutely. They they? I mean, we're looking at the, the 18 to 35 year old demographic, their booking window is 14 to 16 months. And what that means is they're going to sit down in December and look at their entire next year of travel. And they're going to book it all before January ever arrives. And where they're going to book it is places that are the easiest to find and the easiest to book online. That's the demographic we need to satisfy. That's where we are finding a lot of dissatisfaction. We don't want all these new RVers to come in. They bought these new rigs. They're excited about camping and then they can't find the site. And so where you don't, they put it up for sale because they're used to technology and they want campgrounds to be able to offer that technology. And so that's what we're finding a lot of talking to people. It's asking about when is this coming or when is that coming at the balloon fiesta we had such an amazing time because it was such evidence that the rv industry and the consumer or some typling get to the albuquerque balloon fiesta we really we know we there's over a thousand volunteers that are RVers that show up every year there's more rv or participants than in any other category and now it's funny because we've got multiple campground chains that are actually looking to create their own envelopes, their own balloons for next year's fiesta. And going, the new consumer, the new camper likes to meet the industry where they're already at. They don't want to be asked to come to them. So another one of the big things in some of the studies we're doing is finding that they're not as inclined the new camper to to go to a rally where we're trying to sell them something or promote a product. They want to go to Moab to go side-by-side riding, and then they want to meet other RVers and other people there. And when they have those opportunities to create those experiences and to meet people, they will, they will do that. And they are not afraid at all of dynamic pricing, of advanced reservations, and they love the idea of being able to go to places and search multiple sites. Uh, without being restricted to just one campground. The idea of being able to search for a location versus searching for a campground is huge on their bucket list. Yeah, that's why we honestly, that feedback is spot on to what we thought too, Sandy, in the sense that with all the new kind of campers, that, that's why we created the marketplace that we did was essentially for that exact reason was to say, it's funny, there's twofold. There's the consumer end and then there was like the dealer's when we started first showing them the marketplace, we're all super excited because they're like, we're going to sell so many more class A's because the biggest issue has been someone buys this big rig and then they come back to them and they're like, this thing, does, I can't, I can't, this doesn't fit anywhere. I can't get it in these places. So they were super excited to just be able to search through a, a bunch of different campgrounds that we have on the marketplace and actually find places that fit that size rig. And then the same thing that Sandy was saying from the consumer side is that the idea of searching and clicking on a campground that again if you know about that campground you're clicking on and you're booking it that's or right. you know 98 percent of bookings take place but it's that other two percent that they don't know about your campground having it in some sort of aggregate to be able to search based on location based on rig size or just based on amenities in some capacity is something that we felt was missing in the industry to get more people doing exactly what sandy said people are doing which is camping instead of getting frustrated that they can't find some place and then saying, okay, I'm just going to rent this out or I'm going to sell it. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because that, that's the exact 
kind of research and, and, and information that we felt why it was made sense to put together a marketplace. And another one of the initiatives I'm working on that relates to consumers, but ties in the industry and the technology that we're using is there an extreme need to change the language of the campground industry. And so we all know that if we go and we look at a website and it says it is a resort, if we've been camping for a long time, we know it may not be a resort. And at the same time, it might say a campground. And it is so much more than just what I consider a basic campground. We're never going to change the names of all these parks, but what we can do through technology is utilize and source definitions and assignments of types by the consumer. So with tools like campground reviews and campground views with Mark Cap and those kind of things, we can literally, as people are doing their booking their reservation and making, I mean, booking their, posting their comments although they're stunned, we can ask them, how did you read this? And if we have predefined definitions that they can understand, we let them choose from that. And so by that, by doing so, the next time somebody else searches and it says AAA resort, they can look down and see what other people have rated it. Is it a campground? Is it a resort? Is it an RV park or is it a neighborhood? Those are the primary four categories that we're looking at right now. And we've struggled, and I would love to hear some feedback. If you have comments or whatever, you take that on. There, I believe there's a difference between the 55-plus retirement park and a neighborhood. And a neighborhood is a park where primarily people live there year-round. 80% of the sites are full-time people. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not a campground to the younger consumer. It's an, it really is a neighborhood. It's people living there. They come and go. They go to work. It is not a camping experience that the average camper is looking for. And so by being able to define those clearly, when that new camper makes that reservation at that park that looks like it's a park experience or a camping experience, and then they get there and it's a neighborhood, they may bounce and never try again. And so we predefined and told them this is the kind of campground they're going to. And that, again, will just improve the experience overall. The flip side of that is as we age out of traveling, some of us are looking for those places where we might want to stay full-time year-round. Whether it's a 55-plus with all the amenities and part-time or it's someplace we want to live year-round. So that's another one of the initiatives that we're working on to really help consumers and that consumers are pushing up through social media and through comments and chats. You could read it every day and let's say, this was not a resort. We didn't have blah, blah, blah. The reason they're complaining is because nobody set the expectations correctly. It's probably a great part. The expectations just weren't set correctly. That's another thing we're looking at with consumers. This is all interesting to me. And I, I definitely, I, I want to hear Randy's opinion on all of this because I'm sure he's got some wise words and some things to say here. But before we get to Randy, Angela, just talk. You're shaking your head, Randy. You always have wise words. I don't know how wise, but words, yes. <laughs> okay. We'll take those two. That's all I have. Let's talk to Angela real quick though, because two things real quick, Angela, from a marketing standpoint. One is we're talking about this dynamic pricing and how far in advance set the rates. And so touch a little bit on like how you would kind of calm those fears for, from a consumer standpoint, as far as website design goes, right? How you display rates, when you display rates, the wording you use, things like that. And then maybe if you want to just touch a little bit on what Sandy was talking about, how you're representing your park through your name or photos or things like that. 
Yeah, something else too that I just wanted to touch on when you're when people are worried about the feedback that they're going to receive because of the dynamic pricing and to Casey's point of people are not talking to their neighbor. I paid $5 more a night. We see literally thousands of reviews every month across all of our clients of KOAs and Jellystones and large management groups and independent parks. And I can honestly say I've I've literally never seen a single review where someone has said, I paid $5 more than my neighbor. I've never seen a single review complaining about dynamic pricing. And we all know that if they are unhappy with something, they will let us know. If so, I just think that speaks to, I think sometimes it's a fear that owners create on their own because it's something new and it's uncharted territory for themselves. And yeah. And then in terms of how you could display things on your website and setting the guest expectation before they are on your property. Make sure that your website is really easy to use, that it's user-friendly, like user friendly, uh, easy to navigate. Things are labeled really clearly and having really nice pictures. And that goes with the pictures that you use in CampSpot too. Nobody wants to see a small picture from your cell phone that's cropped and it's crooked and things are in disarray. People want to see really nice, clear images. And you could use those across your social media. You can use those across your website in your booking system. And so while it might seem like an investment up front, which a good photographer is no cheap expense. However, the, the return that you'll see on that, because you can use it across all these platforms and you can set really great expectations before people are, are stepping foot on your property. And I just, I think it goes so, so much further than people think that it does. Thanks. I should say, I, I just want to say, I used to have a partnership with a photographer at my campground and I would give them like a, in exchange for however many images, I would give them so many nights of camping a year. Hey, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I capturing photos throughout different seasons and stuff like that. I mean, if you can, yeah. if you can update photos, like on the, as fall is coming and you happen to have some photos that get the colors of people get drawn yeah. into that stuff. If, if it's summer and you show, I like it. I like the visual of an empty pool better than like a pool pack with 400 kits. But either way, again, if you're playing on the idea of if it's hot, you want to see a pool. If it's you know starting to get cool, you want to see fall colors and you want to see campfires and you want to yeah. see things like that. So I, I love that idea of, of having someone where you're doing and just getting photos once there's seasonality to this and, and that's relevant, right? I don't know. I don't know how. Ryan, it's probably a dollar or two to swap out all photos on your website. So you do for people, probably nothing expensive at all, but either way, when they get those on there and they swap them out, it is pretty, pretty straightforward to swap some of those images out and it, it works like it, it's a real benefit that people want to see, especially if you're speaking the language of, of the season. I and think that, to, go ahead. Angela, I'm please. sorry. I think it's really important to, for properties, I think sometimes they are concerned, well, I don't want to show my park in a season that we're not open. But I also think that consumers are interested to see what your park looks like year round and especially on social media, making sure that you're showing the developments that you're doing even in the off season, showing those really beautiful snow covered lake pictures or the wildlife that's visiting your property that they don't get to see. And I think that it helps tell more of a story. It helps draw people in. It makes them more interested and it's not the same. You're not seeing the same pool pictures, the same cabin pictures over and over again. And it I just kind of humanizes you and your property. It, it, tell, uh, it, it puts a human there instead of. It adds authenticity. People are craving authenticity as evidenced by Instagram. Totally. And it's yeah. not always professional pictures are absolutely beneficial. And I highly encourage them, especially someone that's 
familiar with taking pictures of landscape simply because they know what angles are most flattering for different types and sizes of buildings and those kinds of things. But making sure that you're not just taking pictures of a completely empty park. We know peak season, it's so busy and you don't have time necessarily to coordinate to have someone come in, but you don't want to take pictures of all of these empty sites where the trees are half dead and the leaves have fallen off. And that might be an okay picture to share on social media. You're wrapping up your season, closing the park, but from a visual standpoint, when you're trying to sell those sites in the summer, you want it to look lush and green and full, like people are enjoying their stay at your property. And I just, yeah, so professional pictures can go a really long way, but also if you have someone on site that knows what they're doing with a with their phone, you can take some really nice pictures and be sharing those in real time throughout your season and carry that into your off season too. So people could get excited for booking their next day when you reopen. If you're not, if you're not on the phone, taking phone reservations all day, you'll have plenty of time to go out and, and, and learn yeah. photography. We actually yes. put out like a, a guide on taking your own campground photographs, like when the golden hour was, if you're just using your phone, what angle to take that on just because it's, it is, it's so relevant incredible the amount of additional bookings that happen with good photography and good verbiage it's the, the data is insane if you're not out there doing that or not out there if you don't have time to capture some of those moments again there, there's technology that can help with that so you can make time to capture yeah. some of those moments and then another great tip for campgrounds too because they all feel so overwhelmed right now is to start with your category you don't have to have a picture for every single site to start off with Start with just one picture that represents your premium back end or your pull through. And I always say, don't take your absolute best and don't take your worst because it's all about setting expectations. So if you take a picture of that absolute best pull through site and all your others aren't quite as good, now you set the expectation that they're all going to look like this, right? So if you take a good middle of the road picture just by category and just start by showing those. Yeah. Yeah, the, the way that you display your property on social and on your website, it all ties into your branding and being consistent and it's setting the guest's expectation. We talk about this with our clients all the time. You're setting the expectation before someone's even made a booking, before they've set foot on your property. And if you are posting pictures and sharing things that misrepresent the overall of that site type or the overall of your property, well, when they get there, they're going to be pretty disappointed and it's probably going to lead to a bad review uh, and then you're going to have to deal with that headache later uh, it's so just making sure that you're sharing consistent things that are true to what you really offer is so important we debated this quite heavily internally on for the marketplace do we allow parks that didn't have either a certain level of photography on there because we knew that's what the consumer wanted to see or do we allow parks that don't have any photography do we allow them those listings on there because the last thing we wanted to present to the consumer was a search and then a bunch of non-images that would be what the consumer ultimately wants. So we ended up deciding to allow those parks to go on there, but it's incredible how little or how less they get clicked on. It's yeah. like the is so overwhelming that with photography, that's, that's ultimately what the first thing that people are clicking on. So. Like we decided to allow it just in case, like, but almost to do it, to encourage these parks to say, look, like you're showing up exactly in the area that this person's looking for, but you're not getting any clicks. So they don't know what it looks like. They don't know, they don't have any idea what, what it is. And so you might have the best price or the best amenities or maybe the best park, but if they don't know, it's tough for someone to commit to that booking. So. 
Something else that ties into um, what Casey said at the beginning about setting your rates and doing that well in advance before your season, people are starting to book and that sort of thing. We've had a lot of clients coming to us, especially the larger groups, looking at their budgets for next year and also independent parks that are reevaluating their budgets. And I think that if you can tackle your rates and get a hold on what those are going to look like and base it off of, especially if you have a comprehensive system that you're tracking reservations in, then you can really see a good snapshot of your projections for the next year. And that helps you set your budget. It helps tell you what you can really afford to do in the off season. And it helps to tell you what kinds of things you could do throughout your season as well. And it ties into all of that, I think. Something to throw into the mix here. One of the things that I think is just extremely critical, absolutely monumentally critical, when you talk about expectations, if I tell you that my resort is a resort, but using that definition, and I'm going to tell you about, it's going to make you 10 years younger and a better dancer, and your life is going to improve in ways you never thought. Your grandchildren will see you more often. Set expectations realistically, but even more importantly, but I'm sorry, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, Randy, and to take your chair at the top, but are there parks that teach, teach me how to dance and make me look 10 years Not you, Brian, no. <laughs> I don't think there's any help forthcoming. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I had to try. Okay. I'm sorry. Continue. Nor I, by the way, you're in good company. Using an example, I think consumers largely define in their mind what they consider to be a campground, an RV park, or an RV resort based on their definitions. I don't know that there is a universal reference that would have wide adaptation because someone's going to always vary from that. One case in point would be if, if you just bought a campground that's called Lazy River Campground and it is resort in every step of the way but it's campground by name and you don't want to disrupt that branding. You're going to continue to call it Lazy River Campground, even though it might be five-star Hilton all the way. So a campground itself to me doesn't really define what the property is, but related to that, the best thing that anybody can do is be very realistic on your website and describing precisely what you are and what experience you offer and be truthful about it. One case in point, when you think about glamping, what is glamping? Yeah, for me, that could be very primitive dry camping. That could be glamping. That could be like a soft-sided tent. That could be comfortable camping, which could be something different. And it could be glamping, which may mean four-sided structure with internal plumbing or whatnot. When you say glamping, what exactly is that? Nobody can define that but the consumer. However, let's say on your property with glamping alternatives, you have a primitive tent set up. Then you've got the soft-sided canvas set up. Then you've got the luxury park models. If you can describe the experience of each of those and say for the more primitive mind, we've got more ruck outdoors, living off the land type of tent type of thing. For those who want to step into the lap of luxury, we'll have the meal brought to you and your four-sided wide open window gazing over a canyon. But if you're telling what that experience is, the consumer is going to tell you if that's primitive camping or if that's glamping or if that's upscale or luxurious, they're going to apply their own adjectives to it. But the best thing you can do is tell them exactly what experience they can expect. Because as consumers, we don't want to be told something and be presented with something different. Don't oversell, don't undersell. And I think, quite frankly, that's where a lot of website construction could be greatly enhanced is by the truth-telling elements and by good writers who can coach them about, tell me if I was staying there, what would it be like? What's it like for me? Let's tell that story about what somebody's going to expect when they get there and be honest. Don't make it the fountain of youth and don't undersell it. Be truthful and tell them what they're going to get. And you're going to be prosperous because expectations will be met or exceeded versus fallen short of. 
And so Sandy, to that point, I've always wanted what you wanted and I, God, I wish it's, and, and I think there are some definitions you can come up with that are broad in general. The practical application from my experience is even if I have a definition of campground versus RV park, it's not going to change what I do in my park to either adhere to that or be different from that. It, it's good as a general guideline. I completely agree. And I wish we had more of it. I applaud the efforts. But at the end of the day, just as devil's advocate, doesn't the consumer really decide if it's an RV resort for them or a campground feel for them? And that's exactly why we're not trying to get the campground to change names or to comply. This is more of just a way of identifying. There are four very clear definitions. We took about surveys from about 10,000 people to get them to select the right definition. And then when we roll this out, and we will not roll it out until we have the right partners to roll it out to, but we want to roll it out with those people who are the largest aggregators of the like Yelp and Camp RVs and all of those, because they're getting the highest traffic so that we get the most people to actually say, this again is just opinion based on clear definition, right? It's cool. What do I think this is when I define it as one of these four things? And it's interesting after all the work we did going through it, they really are very different. You would not, there's no way we went down any one of them. You wouldn't get confused between the two. And they're all very honoring, which is what I love. Because we have a lot of different park types. Not everybody likes the same kind of park. My son, if it's not a fruit stamped pad, somebody's going to, Ask for him with a golf cart set up his rig for him that he's not going there. My husband and I, we're going to go into more like the national park. We, we really prefer the gravel, flat gravel coming in, a few trees, a lot of neighbors, ability to build our own campfire. Doesn't have to be fancy. We don't even need a pool. We just want neighbors that we can communicate with and talk with about our experience while we're camping. And that to us is the best campground. But again, so that's my opinion for what I like, but I can clearly find one of those definitions. So I'll keep you guys up today on how we roll this out, because I do think that, again, one of the issues we face with the future is defining enough known and desired sites for the individuals. And so the known part is for those of us working in technology to be able to help our parks get the right technology in place. And the desired part is the part that helps us to define the expectations so that whoever that user is, their desires are being met, their expectations are being met. And I, for me, I, I agree, Sandy. And would you agree also that the best thing, I think we would all agree, the best thing anybody can do when they're marking their park is be honest, tell the truth and show accurate representations of what it is. I don't want to be told that these things are going to be beyond worldly experience for me than, than find out it's wedged between two freeway overpasses and they excluded that photo from their website. <laughs> I just want to know what it is. Tell me the truth and you'd be rewarded for honesty by I'll, I'll stay with you if it meets the criteria. But that's, that's one of the things that I've seen a little bit too often is a little bit too much storytelling and not so much travel almanac. Here's what we got. And here's why we think it's valuable. And be honest. 
that kind of view to the majority of consumers, right? You're never going to please everybody. We've talked about images and things like that, right? Angel talked about blurry images. You talked about excluding the one from freeways. I'm sure there's like a club of people who love to stay between freeways because it helps them sleep better at night, but that's not 99.8% of your consumers. And so most of them are going to look for those fall shots that Casey was talking about. Most of them are going to look for the personality uh, that Carrie was talking about, the authenticity. And so if you bring that all together and try to please the the majority of that demographic, you're going to find a lot of success combined with honesty. Completely agree. Did I touch on what you were saying, Sandy? I'm sorry. I know I cut you off. We were just lagging. Absolutely. You were echoing what I was going to say, so. So how much kind of thought goes into this? I know, Carrie, you haven't owned a park for a couple of years, but just from a park owner's perspective, is this on your radar to do these extra things? Are you too busy? Do you have to bring in a third party? I think that's a pretty, that's a tough question to answer for everyone, but yeah. I, I could say, from, yeah, from my own perspective, certainly for me, it was a priority and, and I was fairly well-versed with things like social media and those kinds of things. So I, on a daily basis, I'm out wandering in the park and doing all kinds of things left, right, and center. So to grab a quick shot of something cool as I'm doing that is was pretty second nature to me. Um, and so I had lots of content that way, which I typically used in social media. But certainly that professional level quality of not only photos, but also videos. So tours of what my bathroom facilities and stuff look like on video were really valuable cool like lifestyle we used to have live music events and stuff a 30 second video with some fun stuff there was fairly easy to get recorded and that stuff takes some equipment but yeah i think you do have to prioritize it or hire a third party it certainly has to be a significant part of your operational strategy you simply can't um convey the things we're talking about that authenticity and and honesty and all of those things without visual representation of that in my it's not a guess anymore right casey's got data koa's got data i'm sure arvik's done studies on data and the state associations too but not only are people looking for these photos but as casey said they're looking more on the the aggregate sites too yeah, they're booking more, the revenue's higher, the ROI's better, so that the amount you're going to spend to have this professional photographer come in or take the time out of your day, whatever you want to do, uh, is pales in comparison to the potential benefits. Yeah. You know what really worked well for me, I have to say also, I had several staff members who were between 16 and 20 years old who they were, same thing, they were out there too. Here's a couple cameras, take some shots. They weren't all great, but... There certainly was stuff in there that I could use while they were out and about in the park. And that stuff was really valuable to me too. That professional photography was a massive investment, but building a big portfolio of content that's consistently fresh and visually representative is really vital. If I could toss something else in there, you, a few weeks ago, we had a great conversation on the show about teamwork and the concept of expanding your team beyond just the folks that you work with to outside vendors to get you to where you want to be. The things like photography or writing the description for your website are good examples of that. And one thing that I've seen, the industry changes by the month, by the day, by the week, anyways, we all know, but one thing that's become more ubiquitous in recent history is the willingness of existing owners or new owners to realize they don't know it all, can't solve it all, and are looking to others to find out who's the best. So in other words, I own a park and I want to say I need good photos. 
am I the best person? No. Then I need to find who is the best person to make them part of my team because they're telling the story of my property and that in turn ensures my success. I think a lot of owners and operators are getting much more savvy to the idea that they can't be the beat all end all solution and that they strengthen themselves by leveraging their vision through other people who can help them towards that. I've seen more third party collaboration, even in, in the brokerage end on the buying and the operating of pro properties for people who are new to the industry of standing back and letting ego stand aside and saying, I just don't know, or else I know what I don't know. Who can help me understand how to get where I want to get? And Casey, I don't know if you've seen that from your end as well, but I've seen a lot more collaboration and inclusion from very smart people saying, I need help. Who's the best at this? And that is everything from photography to website, to software implementation, to everything. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Again, depending on the size and scale. Absolutely. In that instance, too, where you're working with somebody fresh and new, who the, that fresh perspective of your park, that those fresh eyes certainly can see your property in a way that you just can't, right? They, their, their perspective is different, and that can be really engaging on a photography and videography side as well. Essential, actually. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. I think you touched a little bit already, a really key point. Um, and that is, what are the goals of your park? What's the strategy? Because if you don't, if you don't understand what it is you want to accomplish, all you're doing is busy work. And it's a whole lot more than just posting a picture and putting a link and signing up in this service. It's all about what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to attract? Do you, are you trying to fill those gap days? Do you want to increase your occupancy? Do you want to increase your revenue? All those things impact how you do what it is that you do it and so often again especially with smaller parks that aren't part of larger groups that have people to help guide them they are doing things because they think they're supposed to do them and they really are having absolutely no impact so i actually visited a park they just had 41 sites an older park none of their sites were more than they really could accommodate more than about a 36 foot rig and they were in the process of trying to update all their electrical, but most of their electrical was still 30 amp in good shape, but only 30 amp. And so they were out there trying to market and get big rigs to come in and trying to attract all these new people when they one, they couldn't fit them in there, but two, that's who they thought were the RBers of today. And and then we're accurate. So what I did, I went in and I said, why don't you just flip the script? Go with what you've got. And they were this neat little kind of hippy dippy town. And I said, market as a small rig only park, 36 feet or left or less must have solar. And they increased their occupants literally with one ad, they increased their occupancy up to about 80%. They haven't had 80% in four years because they had convinced themselves that they would never be what they needed to be without hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment. So I love what you said, Kira, too, about having fresh eyes and fresh perspective. They have been listening to that same script in their minds so long that they couldn't flip it. And the other thing, too, that it brings in another one of my passions, which is proactive communication between the industry and parks. Because when I went in and told this part that they were that 65 in every rig that was being produced that year was going to be 35 feet or shorter. They looked at me and said, you can't know that. And I said, yes, I can. And they're like, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can, because 
I've worked with the industry and they're telling me what they're producing. They set their productions a year in advance. So we know literally every reading, 65% almost less than 35 feet. Parks know that and they have that information in advance. They know better how to plan. They're not trying to build a park for the 45 foot tag They're trying to just put a couple of sites for those guys, but build for the, the volume that's coming out, which is less than 35 feet. Genius. Yeah, there's just a, there's a wide variety of consumers out there looking to do a wide variety of things. And if you can find, again, like that's a marketing 101, right? Find your niche. And mm -hmm. if your niche is the less than 35 feet, awesome. If it's greater than 35 feet, awesome. If you can do both, great. But you've got you've to step outside the box and kind of evaluate yourself. And everybody's right. Those third-party people are great for that. Let's send... Go ahead. I'm, very, I'm sorry, Brian, just real quick. Sandy, I love, one of the things I loved about what you said is it sounded like you gave them the advice of tell them who you are. Don't tell them who you're not. Who are you? And just be truthful about who you are. And guess what? People showed up when they told the truth. Kudo, that's an awesome story. Yeah, love it. Yeah, let's spend, uh, and we've got a couple minutes left here in the show. Who knew that we were going to take, I think we were going to go around the room and everybody's yeah, doing it. Yeah. Casey just hijacked the whole show, but that's okay. It was a great discussion. We talked about a lot of good things, the timely things, I think, for the, the time of year too that owners can use. Uh, I do want to touch briefly on the National Association of RV Parks and Campgrounds Conference that's coming up next week. I know Casey's going to be there. Angel's going to be there. I don't think Sandy's going to be there because you said you were going to stay home. And I know, I don't think Randy is, and obviously Kara's not. She's up here with me in Canada, but Angela and Casey, do you want to talk briefly about what your kind of expectations are for the conference? What's going on there? What you're involved in? You want to go ahead, Angela? Sure. So I'm going to be giving a session on Tuesday about reputation management and how to build it, how to maintain it, and all of that, all of those kinds of things. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's my first time solo speaking at Arvik. I've co-led sessions with Brian in the past, so it will be an interesting experience. And I'm just looking forward to seeing faces again in person, not through screens. It's the first time I'll be traveling for work since March of 2020. So it will be, it'll be really, it'll be a good experience. And yeah, looking forward to, to seeing friendly faces. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We, we have, we went a little bit off script this year. Normally you get to spend a bunch of money to be in the main part of the show, just to be by the other people that spend a lot of money to be in the main part of the showroom. So we went a little bit different this time and went off in the corner on our own with just a bunch of small booths and just said, it'll be more quiet over there. And you can actually have a bigger convert or better conversation than being amidst, amidst all the chaos. So we're throwing a little curveball as far as how we're going about that this year. We have a couple of different small sessions that we're doing. I'm more interested, honestly, to hear what, what other people are saying in, in this industry that kind of aligns with kind of a lot of the data that we have, but yeah, we'll be there. We'll have a booth. We'll honestly, we're excited this year. We're just providing beer and wine the whole time at our booth. And I know where I'll be. That we just said, Hey, there's a lot of people that, that we're working with now that we'd love to just provide a beer for them and, and ask how the year was, cause you're going to have so many positive stories into us. That's going to be somewhat the reward. So looking forward to meet some new parks and stuff like that, but we're taking this one is a little bit more quiet, a little bit off in the corner. And, and, and if anyone wants to enjoy a glass of beer or a glass of wine, we're going to provide that. <laughs> yeah. I personally really enjoy going to all of the different conferences simply because I 
like to hear from park owners, but I also enjoy sitting in on different educational sessions uh, that uh, it's other suppliers sharing about their services and going into greater detail. And it's more information than I would ever get from just glancing at a website. And even though we can't use 99% of the services that the suppliers provide, it's great for, it's great knowledge to share that with our clients. Because our clients are constantly asking us things that are not marketing related at all, or in a very off the beaten path roundabout way, maybe. And it's, so it's nice to be able to speak with some knowledge and authority when they're asking our opinion on things or trends that we're seeing. And so I'm really looking forward to the educational piece and also being able to link up with some of our clients that we don't get to see, except for talking to them on the phone and, or, or through email. So it'd be great. Yeah, we are, uh, Angela's going to be live from Arvik next week. She's going to be running around doing some interviews with various people during the show. Casey, you're welcome to join if you want to do the same thing, but tell some of your owner's stories who are using CampSpot, but also have other things to tell uh, if you would like to do that. And I know Angela's going to try to get a few other people to join uh, the show as well. We've talked to a couple in the background here, so uh, just looking forward to reporting from Arvik. We may have a couple other guests on to talk about other topics as well, but just excited for that. And we've got the other conventions we have come up here. We've got KOA, LSI's got a show, I think, simultaneously is our for Jellystone Parks. And so, yeah, get back to that big conference season with all the three big brands here and uh, looking forward to it. Anybody else have anything they want to wrap up with? I know we're a couple minutes over here, but we had a really good discussion. I'm impressed with how that, you never thought that you could talk about setting prices in advance and start that discussion for five minutes and it turns into a whole hour long full of useful information. I'll end with a quick, funny story. So really quick, a park that a lot of people know very well, We they put their first dynamic pricing rule on and they meant to just put it on for a weekend and they, and they just didn't, they, when they first set it up, we told them you can put an end date on it. They didn't want to put it. They just, they set it up themselves and they forgot to take it off. And then it ran for a, a month longer than what they thought it was, but it ended up making them an extra $6,800 in that time frame that they forgot to turn, turn the rule off. So it was just, it was a funny story. It's called, we're going to take this rule off, but it made us an extra $6,800. So we're super quickly kept it on. So it was a fun story. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Anybody got anything else they want to close with before we wrap up the show today? Hey, just glad thank you for letting me join you guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm, I'm just glad the shows are back. I do. I went to the taco show and the HEA show. They were great. Great to see all, all the fellow, uh, everybody from the industry back out there again, not going to be at Arvig, but I know you guys are going to have fun. Just so glad to see the in-person stuff coming back. Virtual's great, but there's nothing like sitting across the table from somebody just saying. Oh yeah. You won't hear any arguments from me and I produce virtual conferences. I'm really hoping for hybrid events here coming up in 2022, especially with it, where you get that. If you want to go in person and do the handshake eye contact, which I do, uh, and a lot of people I know do, you can do that. But also if you can't travel or you have commitments to your campground or whatever, then you can do the virtual too. So that's what I'm looking forward to, to see and come to fruition, but sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys. I uh, appreciate you joining us for another episode of MC Fireside Chats. Uh, next week, as we've already discussed, we will be live from Arvik, maybe a couple other guests as well. Uh, Angela will be representing us. So if you want to be on the show, then you can find Angela or maybe find Casey at his booth at Camp Spot or some of the other people who are going to be on the show and just uh, say, hey, I want to be on the show. I, I got a short story to tell. Looking forward to that. As a reminder, we are also available as a podcast uh, later on. So Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, you can listen to us there. Subscribe to us if you prefer an audio only version while you're driving. But other than that, unless anybody has anything else, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. 
Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.